Genesis, who enjoyed last time? That was from verse 1, and we ended up in verse 7. I wanted to do a little bit more, but we couldn't get further than that. Now I want to go back to verse 7, where the Lord warns him. He says to him in verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin's desire is for each one in this room, but we should rule over it. We should rule over it. So many people say that I couldn't help it. It just came over me. Or they said I should do it and it's because of them that I did it. No. Sin is a choice and each one has got a choice whether you want to sin or not. The decision lies with you. He says, and it's desire is for you, but sharp contrast. You should rule over it. And we look now at verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and he killed him so he obviously didn't listen to the warning of God murder is a sin that sin of murder was lying at the door which he didn't realize at that point in time when his countenance was fallen and he looked at his brother out of jealousy within his heart there was a, there was a seed planted of bitterness and that seed of bitterness became a root and that root started to grow and God spoke to him and instead of listening to God and dealing with the root problem so the next step from jealousy becomes murder the next step is always worse than the first step that is when, when you preach the word of God you give the truths out of the word of God to people it convicts the heart of sin of temptation and if you do not listen to the spirit of God it always gets worse and worse and worse we know that's what sin does, isn't it? Yeah. Sin doesn't build you up. Sin pulls you down. Mm. Sin doesn't encourage you. Sin kills you. Mm. Sin is not life, it's death. Sin is not freedom, it's bondage. Mm. Now Cain talked with his brother Abel. This was friendly talk. He didn't walk up to Abel and say, Hey Abel, walk with me to the field, I'm going to kill you there. Do you think Abel would have walked with him? Mm. No. We've learned the lesson from Cain's side now, but we need to learn the lesson on Abel's side. Abel got his brother, came to him now, and he started talking friendly with his brother. And the friendliness of his brother pulled him away, walked away from his protection into the field. He trusted his brother. Of course, he saw when his brother, his countenance fell, it was there for everybody to see, and he might have felt, oh, look at my brother, his countenance has fallen, I must be a little bit careful now. But obviously, when Cain started talking to Abel, they started walking away. So with this root in his heart, he came to a point where he killed him. So what is the lesson that we need to learn from people? Flattery words, watch out for those words. Yeah. If people come to you and they say, oh, you're so good, I love you, I like you. But just be careful, if people are overboard, in with flattery tongue. The Bible warns us against it. Turn with me now to Psalm 12. It's a Psalm of David. 
And who better to tell us to watch out for people with flattery lips than David himself? He says in verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man sees us. The godly man sees us. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Is that true to our day? Godly men is disappearing, dear friends. I don't know whether you've seen it. The faithful people are disappearing amongst us. Now, they, they speak idly, everyone, with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. I want to suggest to you that when Cain came over to Abel, he was one of these people who speak idly with his neighbor, with his brother, and with flattery lips, he pulled his brother away to walk with him. In his heart he knew exactly what he was going to do with his brother. In other words, he had double heart, which this verse talks about. So we've got to be careful. When people come with over-flattering lips, ask yourself the question, why would you say that? I'm not talking about encouragement. There's a difference between encouragement and flattery lips. All of us here has experienced flattery lips. And here, unfortunately, to uh, Abel's disadvantage, he didn't take heed to that warning. And then without any provocation, in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 4, Cain comes over and he slays his brother, he kills his brother. The question is, why would Cain do this? We all know why he did it. It's because his offering wasn't accepted. But I want you to turn now to the New Testament. 1 John. The letters of John. Chapter 3. There's only two groups of people in the world. Sons of disobedience and sons of obedience. God's children and the devil's children. And here we find John write the same in 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Wow. Black and white. Okay, light and darkness. Either or. There's no in betweens here. He says, in this, in what then? John, in what is the children of God and the children of the devil manifested? Now he answers the question, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. There's a giveaway. If you look at people, how they live, it is normally a giveaway. You get proclaiming Christians, but you look at how they live, and it's a giveaway. They say they are the deal, but they are not the deal. They live unrighteous. And what does this verse say? Who's their father? Satan. Satan. Lucifer. There's no other way about it. Now look at this. I love it. He says, whoever does not practice righteousness, which means a life acceptable to God, is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Love is a sign of being a child of God. Absolutely. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain. There's our friend there, right there. Not as Cain. And how far does this go back? Right to the beginning, isn't it? Right to the beginning of Genesis. Not as Cain who was of the wicked one, and has murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. There's the two differentials there. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. 
we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren he who does not love his brother abides in death whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him that's straightforward you go over to people and you warn them about the unrighteousness the way they live and the first thing they tell you is who are you to judge judge your answer is it's not me who's judging you it's the word of God who judges you and then if they want proof you open up in 1 John chapter 3 verse 10 and you read to them about the two people let the word of God judge the people we don't judge we just proclaim the word now look at verse 9 then the Lord said to Cain where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Does God know where Abel is? Yes. Does God know Abel is dead? Yes. So why does he ask this question to Cain? Come on. He wants him to confess, giving him a chance to confess of his sin. This is what the Holy Spirit do. You do something wrong and immediately you are convicted of that thing. And the reason for that conviction is for you to confess and be set free and then Abel tells a straight out lie I don't know where my brother is he knows exactly where it is and then he asks this question now there's something behind this question am I my brother's keeper what is he doing there trying to put it on someone else yeah on who on God God. he's doing the same that his father did Adam Mm. hey Lord it's the wife that you gave me and what did Eve do? It is the serpent. You remember that passage? The same thing like father like son. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. He's doing what the father's doing. He says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, it is your job to look after Abel, not mine. Okay, so we see he passes back this blame now to God. He says, you should have looked after him, you didn't look well after him. Now he's dead. And you didn't stop me. You didn't stop me slaying my brother. Verse 10, and he said, what have you done? This is God. Now comes the conviction. Now comes the charge. God charges him for the, for the thing he's done. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Would you know that Abel's blood is still crying out even until today? Even until today... Abel's blood is crying out. Where did the blood fall? Into the ground. Uh, Turn with me to Psalm 116. This is one of the first saints that was martyred. Abel. What is a martyr? Somebody who dies for his? His belief. (laughs) Whose offer was accepted? Abel's. Who was killed for his offer? Abel. So he was the first martyr in the Bible. First person who was killed for his beliefs. The blood of saints are precious in the sight of God. So is your blood. Go to Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints so the blood of the saints is precious to the Lord see how much you you mean to the Lord 
You are important to Him. Your blood in your body is important to Him. It's precious to the Lord. The life that is in your body now is precious to God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 4. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Here's our two friends. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. You remember when I took you back to 1 John? Talking about the righteous and the unrighteous? There you got it. God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. The blood of all the saints that fell into this earth is crying out even until today we actually find it in the book of Revelation where the blood of the saints is crying out it's crying out for righteousness for judgment Genesis chapter 4 verse 10 he says and he said what have you done the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground Okay, where is Abel at this point in time he's in paradise his soul went to paradise his body went back to the ground and where did his spirit go back to God Man is strict autonomous, three-part being. Okay. So still, while his soul was sitting in paradise, and his spirit is back to God, and the body lies in the ground, his blood was crying from the ground. Now look at verse 11. So now, you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. What has the earth done? It opened up his mouth to receive the blood. Not only the blood of Abel, but the blood of all saints over the years has been received up by this earth. I want you to turn to a really interesting passage in Numbers. In Numbers. Numbers chapter 35. God is a meticulous counter. Nothing, nothing slips his attention. Look at Numbers chapter 35, verse 33. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, talking to his people. For blood defiles the land. Blood defiles the land. The first defilement happened when Abel was killed. And the earth opened up its mouth and he took Abel's blood in. He defiled the land. He defiled the land. And no atonement can be made for the land. See that? For the blood that was shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it ok that makes sense there is no atonement therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel turn with me to Romans chapter 8 says it here in Numbers that blood defiles the land says it in Genesis that Abel's blood was taken up. The earth opened up its mouth to receive the blood of Abel. Here in Romans chapter 8 we find a different story here. He says, let's read from verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present times are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. So what is waiting? The creation is waiting for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. When is that going to happen? 
the return of our Lord Jesus Christ is coming with him the sons of God, you and me we are coming with him so creation, the earth is waiting for the return of Christ the earth is crying out dear friends for the return of Christ the earth that you and I are living on is crying out can you hear the cries? can you see the cries of the earth? oh yes we can there's a huge flood right now in Pakistan there is earthquakes like never before there is a volcano that started spewing ash they call it global warming they call it all ever they want to call it I call it the cry from the earth because this earth is under a curse and the earth is crying out to be released to be redeemed from this curse that's upon the earth part of this curse is the blood of the saints that dropped into this earth which defiled the earth so look at this, this is beautiful verse 19 again for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God you think you were eagerly waiting for the rapture to happen and the return of Christ think about the earth for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it, it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to, into the glorious liberty of the children of God see that? the earth is crying the earth is talking a message now verse 22 for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now not only that but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our bodies as we are waiting for the return of Christ the earth is waiting people BCC, CNN they show all the pictures, pictures of natural disasters and everything happening up and they they fret by it, they are so afraid about it when I see it, I can hear the call of the earth crying for redemption from the curse so you are cursed from the earth you see now for the first time man is cursed isn't it? man is cursed why did God curse Cain and not Abel? remember when he cursed, uh, he, he punished them he didn't curse Abel uh, Adam and he didn't curse Eve he cursed the ground he cursed the things they're going to work for but now we find that Cain was cursed why would God do that? I thought he loved him oh yes he loved him but he hates sin yes. and at this point in time later on we're going to see that verse Cain already decided in his heart that he was not going to confess so the curse of God is upon him again bring you back to those people who say who are you to judge? no no we're not judging your decision that you've already made and you're going to stand by it has judged you right we better on verse 12 when you till the ground it shall no longer yield its strength to you a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth we know that when God spoke to Adam he said food would be hard to get isn't it here he tells Cain the earth will give nothing to you anymore so he lost his business he lost his job isn't it true that if people are caught out in their sins in very important jobs even until today what are they losing first? their jobs what, what comes through your job? your income what is that going to do to you personally? it's going to bring you to your knees it's going to break you 
God is telling him you're going to be broken this is part of God's punishment when you till the ground he says it shall no longer it's going to be impossible for him to be a farmer to continue in the, in the life that he wanted to continue you see this is the amazing thing about sin people do sin nobody sees they're doing that sin and then they think when I'm going to get caught out I will continue with this thing in my life because I don't care but many times once they get caught out they don't continue in that they don't because it's been taken away from them he says it there he sees a vagabond and a, in other words he's going to become a drifter a fugitive and you shall be on the earth remember Adam was put out of the garden but he's still at the old earth here Cain get it much worse this is the old earth there's no place for you and Cain said to the Lord my punishment is greater than I can bear isn't that the, this what some Christians do when they sin and they get into trouble as Cain did and God punished them then they cry out to God and say it's too hard it's too difficult for me to bear this sin and he, he does the same thing he says it's too hard for me I can't bear this now it's interesting to notice that Cain did not feel bad about sin he felt bad about his punishment <laughs> that's what we do isn't it the punishment is always the worst one but not the sin that's why when people come for counseling you need to come to the sin and let people repent of the sin God will deal with the punishment but for him it was too hard and he did not repent you see he was now committing the unpardonable sin the sin against the Holy Spirit verse 14 surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground I shall be hidden from your face I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me now we've got to put this in context Cain is going to be put away from his family by now this plus minus a hundred years that man has lived on the earth when this happened we, we pick it up with birthdays and I will come to that in a couple of weeks time how many children and family do you think has, has accumulated in a hundred years there's a few people in fact later on we're going to see that there was actually a city where he fled to so some of his brothers and sisters children and their children has now started communities around the place and now he's going to be separated from his family because everybody's going to know now what he's done he's killed a man he's killed somebody and the fear of all those people is coming upon him now and this is why he says these words he says surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground there's going to be no place I can't go to this place they're going to kill me I can't go there they're going to kill me and then he says something which is really speaking prophetically into our day he says I shall be hidden from your face you see those words what is he meaning there he says I shall be hidden from your place of worship remember what they did they came together him and Abel and they offered to God they came into the presence of God in other words they came into the face of God now God is chasing him out so he's now actually saying to God you've driven me away from my place of worship from the one thing that I wanted to do and you didn't accept that and it's still true today it's still true to turn with me to Psalm 44 was it God who driven him out or was it his sin 
it was his sin that driven him out so he driven himself out Psalm 44 look at verse 24 I like it I like verse 23 actually the psalmist cry out he says awake <laughs> as if he can frighten God alive or, or to be awake look at it awake why do you sleep O Lord arise do not cast us off forever have you ever come in your life to a point where you pray and it feels as if you pray and God has an answer you pray your prayers and it feels as if it hits the, it hits the roof and you keep on praying and you say God but why are you sleeping why? it's as if you don't answer this is what the psalmist felt at this point he says in verse 24 why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression this might as well be Cain this is what Cain is telling him he says you in that verse he says I shall be hidden from your face you remember that so now this could have been Cain's words two weeks, four weeks, a month later when he, he starts to try to talk to God now all of a sudden there is that silence God is not going to talk to him again Look at this now. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Can you see this person praying? Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. So why wouldn't God answer this person? Turn with me to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Why would God not answer this person? Surely these are strong words. When he says our soul is bowed down to the ground, to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. This is somebody who earnestly is on his face praying to God. Why would God not answer? Look at Isaiah 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save, nor is he heavy that he cannot hear. But, what does it mean? Your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins has hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Is that Cain? Yes. So here we find Cain. This is just my translation of it. In Psalm 44 verse 24 crying out. And God says your hands is full of blood. The blood of your brother you've sinned, you've told lies I'm going to keep my face away turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 1 but Lord we go to church we're there every Sunday and still you wouldn't listen to us see what Isaiah chapter 1 says look at verse 14 now let's go from verse 12 when you come to appear before me this is now church okay when you come to appear before me who has required this from your hand to trample my courts so they come into the courts of the Lord bring no more futile sacrifices incense is an abomination to me the new moons the sabbaths and the calling of the assemblies I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred and the sacred meeting. 
So what is God saying? He says, I cannot endure your incense, your sacrifices. I can't endure you. You come into the place of holiness, into the, into the tabernacle of God with your sin in your heart. I can't endure it, God says. No. Your new moons. You see these people, we're holding on to the Sabbaths, but they come in with sinful hearts. means nothing. No. Your new moons. Your appointed feasts. My soul hates. Is this something that God hates? It's sin. They are trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread your hands, can you see the worship leader? Come on everybody, raise your hands. Hallelujah. And everybody raises their hands. It's hallelujah. But you've got sin in your heart. Listen to it. When you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Why, prophet? Why? Your hands are full of blood. How do we get clean then? Verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil from your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. The sword slash the word. That's, that's powerful isn't it mm-hmm. yeah. let's go back to Genesis he says it to him surely you have driven me out and I shall be hidden from your face I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth and it will, it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me it's interesting that the, man, the first man who killed somebody is now afraid of the very same thing that he committed mm-hmm. is it maybe because he saw the agony of death personally first hand that now he's afraid of death and Cain does what every sinner does. He's more worried now about his physical death than his spiritual death. The biggest thing is going to happen to him now. He's walking away from God. He's walking out of the presence of the Lord. But he's not afraid of that. If that doesn't bother him. He's more afraid about his physical body. Instead of him falling on the ground and saying, Father, kill this body but save my soul. This is the biggest problem sinners do today. And then the Lord said to him, Therefore... Whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Here he tells the people who's going to touch Cain that it will be visited into sevenfold, into their posterity. Okay? Posterity is in their legacy. He says, And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone find, finding him should kill him. Now there's a lot of people who say it's a lot of things. Some people say it, it is like a birthmark. Some people say the Lord strike him. And when he struck him, there was a mark. What I, <clears throat> what I do want to say is this is a mark not of shame, but a mark of protection. If you think of this, I've heard people in the past preach on the mark of shame. And they went to this mark. The mark of Cain. Which they said, well, he had to walk around with this mark and everybody would know that he killed. He's a murderer. And how shameful that would be. But it was not a mark of shame. It's a mark of protection. Because the Lord said it. He says, And the Lord said a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. That's protection. How wonderful is God's grace still, even until the sinner? 
that God would protect him but you know what, it's not the first time uh, I, I've answered your question about the mark, uh, Jacqueline it, 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 was a, it was something that they saw that they didn't go to him and kill him but what it was, we couldn't say there was nobody there to, to be actually saying that you know, it, it would have been easier if they said and the Lord put a spot on his head but it was a mark that God marked him um, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 9 I want to show you that this is what God does isn't it, to protect God does this to protect remember when he, in, in Revelation did he put a mark on people's points who did Revelation the studies you, you remember God put a mark of protection on so God likes to put marks of protection on people uh, Ezekiel chapter 9 yeah <clears throat> verse 1 says then he called out in the hearing with a loud voice saying let those who have charge over the city draw near each with a deadly weapon in his hand his trouble brewing and suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate which faces north each with his battle axe in his hand one man amongst them was clothed with linen and had a writer, writer's ink on in his side then uh, they went in and stood beside the, bro, 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 the bronze altar Sorry. now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the syrup where it had been to the threshold of the temple and he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's ink on on his side and the Lord said to him go through the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sign who sigh and cry over the abomination that I've done within it what is these people doing? they are praying about the sins that's going on in the city these are intercessors and here God says go through and put a mark on them to the others he said in my hearing go after him through the city and kill do not let your eyes spare nor have any pity utterly slay old and young men maidens and little children and women but do not come near anyone whom is marked and begin at my sanctuary so they began with the elders who were before the temple this is a frightening verse this is a frightening verse but you see sin God's wrath is not something that you play with and see where it started in the sanctuary in the sanctuary Peter writes in the New Testament he says the time will come the judgment will start in the house of God first judgment is going to start in the house of God God will go through but did you know that sitting here tonight if you're a child of God washed by the blood of the Lamb that you've got a mark you and I are marked we are sealed by the Holy Spirit yes, I'm just thinking where that verse is Ephesians, open up in Ephesians with, with, with me Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 that we who trust, first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory in Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of glory. Ooh, that's a wonderful scripture verse. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 to 14. Now, I'll end up tonight with, I believe, the saddest verse for me in the whole entire Bible. I wasn't going to plan to end in this verse, so let me just open up with it. Verse 15 says, And the Lord said to him, Therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord said a mark on Cain, that anyone finding him should kill him. Then, look at verse 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. He went out of the presence of the Lord. That's a sad verse. Mm. I did a study once and they asked the question, What is the saddest verse in the Bible for you? And I picked this one. Then Cain went out of the presence of the Lord. After all of this time that God had this conversation with him, after all of the warnings, look and behold, sin lies at the door and its desires after you. He then continues on through that temptation of killing and killed actually. And then God comes to him and he gives him another chance. He says, what have you done? What have you done? Where is your brother? Bring him into repentance, to conviction. And he chose to go out of the presence of the Lord. He turned his back on God. He hardened his heart. At this point in time, while he was still alive, the deadline was drawn. So he stopped serving to serve God. He stopped serving. He turned his back on God. The God, the Lord will never turn his back on him. But, but. The thing is here, he will not come back to God because of heart and heart. Mm. We found this in Saul, King Saul. Mm. I mean, King Saul had enough time to, re- to realize he was wrong. And he did realize he was wrong, but he didn't return to God. And he died without God in the battlefield. We find the same with Judas Iscariot. Mm. Judas Iscariot, after he betrayed God, went back and he took those silver, those silver pieces, threw it back into the temple and he knew he was without God there was no there was no um, salvation for him after that he went in the hand himself so there is a line which, is, which can be drawn the sin against the Holy Spirit mm. 